Welcome to Dad Talk Today. The podcast for dads facing some of the toughest moments of their lives. We are here to walk with men through divorce, keep them connected to their kids, help them understand their rights, and work for change in family law courts. Moms, you are always welcome too. We are all about advocating for shared parenting and doing what is best for our kids. Let's get started. Here is your host, Eric Carroll. Hey everybody, welcome to Dad Talk Today. I'm your host, Eric Carroll, joined as always by Chris and the lovely Melissa Isaac. Tonight we have Judge Ashley Baker Osby. Ashley, how are you doing today? Great, how are you guys? Doing all right. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm actually, um, so I'm currently a magistrate court judge. I uh, practiced law for about 15 years in private practice, and I'm currently running in Fulton County, which is metropolitan Atlanta for Superior Court Judge, which does handle our family law sector. But I am um, native Atlantan and uh, have children the, uh, the ages 15 down to five, four of them, and two boys, two girls. I'm a divorced parent. And I'm very much an advocate of 50-50 uh, parenting uh, when that is, is possible, uh, logistically, as well as, you know, both parties are, are avid parents. Uh, and I just I, ha I share some of the same um, issues. I've been watching you guys uh, on the Facebook page and everything going on. And it is um, it's a lot a lot of what's good on is truth. And it's unfortunate. And I, I definitely want to see some changes in our family law system. Absolutely. And you mentioned that you're a divorced parent, so you've been through this system before yourself. Yes, sir. Multiple uh, times. Real quick. Others. I mean, you know, we, we, do have a, we do have a question. What's the difference between a magistrate and a judge? So it is, a, it is also a judge. So in the state of Georgia, we have uh, magistrate judges in, in our state court or countywide. You have magistrate, state court judges, and superior court judges. So superior court handles your criminal felonies as well as your family, all of your family law, from legitimation to adoption, divorce, and custody and modifications. Um, as a magistrate court judge, I hear um, criminal and civil as well as what we consider our uh, abandonment of minor child. So uh, as a criminal action, when they have had no contact and no monetary contact, either parent would come in front of us for that. Um, and then as a family law practitioner, you know, I practiced a good bit of family law um, in, in practicing, and that is all in the state of Georgia in the Superior Court. So currently as a magistrate court judge, I have not as much touch with the family law sector. And I know that one of 21 judges doesn't make uh, you know, much of a difference, but at least one judge getting elected can make a difference and, and can push that along to getting more to be in support of understanding what really goes on in these families. So as an attorney, did you handle family court cases? Yes, I did. Okay. Well, tell us about your experience with that. Did you represent mothers, fathers, um, you know, un unwed fathers? And what was your experience? Well, I did. I did both. Um, and in fact, I um, one of the cases that I was speaking to one of your members about, and that's how I kind of got engaged in your group. Um, I had a gentleman, they were unmarried. And a lot of dads uh, in the state of Georgia don't realize that if you are, even if you're on the birth certificate, you are not the legal parent. You are the biological parent, um, DNA wise, but you are not the legal parent. So if that woman leaves um, that father and he has not done a legitimation action, 
he has no rights to that child. That child also has no rights to inherit from that father um, until that is taken care of. So it leaves a lot of people up in arms, even if they've been living together with a small child or a child that's aged into you know any age, and they just up and leave sometimes. And that's where you see you know crossing state lines, and it's very difficult in a lot of monetary uh, ramifications to go go through these processes. So. Um, I wish there was more knowledge amongst just the lay person and knowing that legitimation is something you do if you're not married. But um, it, it unfortunately isn't out there in the, in the general public as much as it should be. But I had a case uh, with a gentleman who he and his um, partner had a two and a half year old little boy. And she basically just took him one day and took him to Kentucky from Georgia. It took quite a few months for us to even get to trial. Right. So we had to go through our discovery process, filing the legitimation as well as the joint custody action, trying to get it. But he you know, we had documents of, of all of the attempts to contact and talk with her. Um, but she literally had no was not allowing him to even speak with the child, see the child pre FaceTime as well. But still, he could have chatted or had him on speaker just to, to have some sort of contact. And uh, my client was devastated, absolutely devastated. And it was very difficult as an attorney to convince him to just calm down, be quiet, you know, don't don't get upset, don't look bad in front of the judge because if they don't get to us this month, we're gonna have to go to the next. And that's, I mean, it, it breaks your heart, it really does. But we did, and I presented a case and he was a wonderful parent. And he did, he, his mother was involved here in Atlanta. And um, I was asking for her to get the child back, give, you know, living here because she, she he knew the family and the friends that were here. Um, but I was not even going for that. So this was probably 20 years back, but we were not even asking for 50, 50. We were looking for a 60, 40. Um, but I presented such a case that that judge gave the mother two days at Christmas only. Okay. That, uh, alienating. It came out as, as we went through that discovery that she was truly going to ruin that child's mentality. And so it's well, really God, let's talk about parental alienation. What sort of what sort of education do you have in terms of parental alienation? And those are some of the most difficult cases to present to the court. So tell our our followers how do they go through presenting a case to the court. So first, your education and how do you present it to the court? So um, early on, I actually was a probate judge prior to this, so I did a lot of mental health court as well. So I was trained in the mental health industry. Um, to, to the distinction of a lawyer, not not a, a doctor, but I, you know, it's fascinating to see that this goes on. And then as an attorney, you see it constantly as well, but you just don't realize, and it's very difficult to present it to a judge or anybody listening. You can have your expert, but they're going to have somebody that counteracts it. So you're spending tons of money on these quote unquote experts that everybody knows can be paid to say what they want at times. So you really have to have true evidence. Then you're also paying for a guardian ad litem here in Georgia to, to show and go and do an in-home study or an out-of-the-home study and watch them. But, you know, can you get a snippet and get a really good image? Sometimes, sometimes not. So everybody who is mentally ill and is good at it enough to make, get you to have a family with them, they're going to be really good at masking it for a stranger as well. And that's where the, the really big confusion comes from. And it's uh, it's difficult to take somebody like that into a setting of a courtroom um, and, and show them and make them show their true colors. Oftentimes you're dealing with narcissism or borderline personality disorder as well. And those are very, very difficult to diagnose. We do have some psychological testing that we can do that is 
a little more limited on being able to uh, to pass it um, as a being you know a BSer, but it's uh, it's difficult and it's costly. That's the biggest problem. And there is no there there's not very many resources out there for um, assistance monetarily or for pro bono work or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the money, you just lose, and that's not fair. Your child loses. You don't just lose. Well, I like to say to everybody in the audience, and I know there's there's questions coming in really quickly, and we will definitely get to those. But um, going back to that, you know, one of the the biggest complaints that we hear from people that have been through the family court system that has watched us is that the judges don't know about parental alienation. Do you feel like the judges are getting enough um, education on what no. it is with parental alienation? No, not at all. And I think that you know their own personal. Um, bias are going to are going to play a factor. And that's where we have problems with judges in general. I think that um, at, to be a judge, you have to come in with absolutely no pre- preconceived notions, criminally, family law, anything. And that's very difficult. And there's certain people who just simply cannot do that and they cannot get past who they really are as a as a person. Um, I pride myself on when I put that black robe on, I am no longer Ashley. I am not my child's parent. I am literally as neutral as I can give to the people in front of me because long after I take that robe off, I'm affecting people's lives for decades even, you know, and it's, it's a big deal to me. And it's something that should be taken a lot more seriously than it is. And that to that notion, you know, I think there should be more education in mental health across the board, be it criminally or with parental issues, because I don't think that there's enough funding federally or statewide for mental health illness. And I think that it could be a lot more widely taught to understand that these are real issues and these are not some made up syndromes uh, like people think. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head. You said they come on when they with their own personal biases, and I think they all do that. So anybody would say, of course, they're not going to give you know shared custody to a father, for instance, who's abusive or is an alcoholic or things of that nature. But how do you cut through the the BS, like you said, and the false allegations and what's true? Because anybody can come in and say anything. And it seems like the judges err on the side of caution. They they put dad on child support, limit his time, and give custody to mom based on allegations alone. So how do you cut through the BS and find the facts? So, you know, unfortunately, I think you have to start with researching who you're electing as your judges, because I think that we, like you said, the bias is very difficult to overcome, but there are judges out there that can and and do strive to do so. That being said, I think we need to implement more continuing legal education for judicial settings if you're doing family law to understanding what really goes on. I don't think erring on the side of caution is always the best policy. I think caution should be looked at as evidence rather than just erring. If I'm taking in, I had someone tell me once when I was on the bench, they said, well, you should, you know, you can just um, assume this. And I said, you know, I'm saying something. If I'm up here assuming anything, y'all are all in trouble. That's a big no for me. Yeah. So, I, you know, I want evidence in front of me before I make any decisions. And if I need to take and go out myself, I feel that that would be appropriate in, in certain situations. I know we have, you know, guardians in place for those measures, but you know, I'm not 100% that they're getting the training they need. I've gone through guardian ad litem training and I didn't think it was all it was needing to be, um, but that, you know, that's a whole nother ball game. And I think that we need a little bit more credential on being able to evaluate a child. I mean, the, 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 be- the, the thing that you have to remember is yes, these families are in crisis and I get that, but beyond the parents, 
they'll move on with their lives. But you have a child that is affected for the rest of their lives and it will affect how they raise their own children. So you're creating a, you know, an entire generational thing that's going to continue. And as a judge, that's something serious. You need to make sure that you hear and you are looking at every angle of what these attorneys are presenting to you. And you just, you know, I look at attorneys, yeah, there's, and I know you are as well, but you know, there are attorneys that are there and they do a great job and they're high priced and they bring in the evidence and make it look glamorous. But at the end of the day, an attorney is nothing but a messenger and they're just there to give me information. I don't care how wonderful they present it or how frou-frou it looks. The reality is the truth in the information is what needs to be examined thoroughly. Absolutely. And obviously for you to be running at this point, you you know a lot of your peers that might be in the courthouse already, other lawyers. Do you feel like that maybe like this newer generation of lawyers and judges might be more open to shared parenting than say um, a, a dinosaur judge who's going to be aging out of the system soon? Do you feel like the new generation might be more open to shared parenting and perhaps support it more? I think so. And I think as you, you know, we're going forward into, you know, modernization and movement of, of such, I do think you, you're seeing more of that. And you have, you know, obviously our split fam uh, families are, are higher than they were in the, you know, 80s and 50s and 60s. And But at the same time, you have people that you you know is somebody that has a shared custody. I mean, there's not you're not going to just be would have no friends or anybody at, the, at this day and age. So I think you're seeing more and more of the impact as well because you're you're interacting and your peers are dealing with it and you hear things and you see things that are going on and you can actually watch your children's friends. You know, back when we were growing up, it was probably not as many people you knew that were were going back and forth with custody. Today's age, it's more the norm. And you do see your children's peers and what they're dealing with. And you you it makes you think twice about what you're doing with your own. So it is, I think it I think it's generationally changing and shifting for sure, but it's we still have a ways to go. Let's talk about the, this younger generation of attorneys that are coming in. I know that sometimes I'll be sitting in the courtroom in a DACA call and a pro se dad will go up and he'll just get railed by the court or the judge will do something that's blatantly wrong. So how many do you, I mean, how many of the attorneys do you see actually maybe stand up and maybe help this guy or say something, say, hey, this is wrong. You can't treat this guy this way. I know I was in mediation and the mediators went off on my client. I stopped him and I said, you ever do that again? I will never be back, you know, come back to you. So you have this older group and then you have this younger, this younger crowd of attorneys. And I think they're saying, you know what? This doesn't work anymore. Are you seeing the younger group come in and try to clean up? You do when they're when it's their client more so. If you have a pro se litigant, there's very there's very little that happens to assist them, unfortunately. And you know the other side of lawyers not going to do it. Their client's going to fire them or you know hate them. But so you know, and then judicially though, I think it needs to be a little bit more. Um, we need to find well. As a, as a community, we need more attorneys that will help in the pro bono if we can't help otherwise, because there's just even our Atlanta legal aid doesn't even assist in these cases. And it's um, as you well know, all of you have gone through any sort of custodial or divorce. It The only people who ever win are the lawyers. So if you don't have a lawyer, you really do end up in, you know, not knowing a what's going on, what all the terminology back and forth is. And that's one thing I have a lot of pro se litigants. And when there's an attorney on the opposite side, be it any type of case, 
I make sure I stop and explain to the pro se litigant what is going on, make sure they understand and that they are not lost because they are at a disadvantage. And I do understand that. And I think it's unfortunate. And again, with family law, it's costly and it's sometimes not any other, there's no other choice. I got a few questions in here for you, Ashley. Uh, this one comes from John Gallman. He said, why do you believe the Bar Association in every state is so determined to stop a rebuttable presumption of equal and shared parenting for willing, able and fit parents? You know, unless they, they are just uninformed and they haven't been through it and they don't see that the child suffers. And again, I think I was, I was talking to these um to the to all of you at the beginning, um, just for just a moment before we went on the show, um, being a parent uh, who does do 50-50 custody, when my children were much younger, um, it was, we did a, a little less of a split, you know, I had a little bit more time, but it was still, you know, more of a 60-40. Uh, once they were in kindergarten, or the youngest was in kindergarten, we immediately went to that 50-50, and I was absolutely you know, horrified, didn't know what to do. And I was, you know, it was like I couldn't breathe. But I watched these children need their father, boys and girls. I have two and two. But they, I mean, they they really do suffer without having him in their life. And honestly, I have to say he's a better dad separated than he was when he, we were together. He gives them more attention now than he did before. And I can tell you it is a commonality that they, the dads tend to be a heck of a lot better at parenting and engagement when they're, when they're, when they are not two parents doting. Over and and his, his question was about the bar associations and here in Alabama, the Alabama bar doesn't really tend to interfere in our custody bill. I don't know if they do in Georgia or not. They, they tend to, to not. Our bar associations, I mean, we have a family law bar association here and well, with Fulton County, and um, they, they tend to be more progressive. And um, generally speaking, unless we have a severe situation that the child is endangered, you tend to see our associations moderating for the 50-50 parenting. Um, obviously, you have some logistical nightmare problems for schooling and things like that if they're too far away. But for the majority of the bar associations here in the state of Georgia, I'm seeing more of that trend towards the 50-50 um, admiration. Wow, that's interesting. That's I haven't heard of that in Georgia. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah, that is interesting because I know here in Maryland, we had two uh, shared parenting bills within the past, I think, seven or eight years that we tried to pass and our bar association actually spoke, testified and spoke against them. So that by maybe why Mr. Goldman's asking that question, because it sounds like in North Carolina, the same thing's happening there that's happening in Maryland. I've heard of the North Carolina being um, a, a bit tedious on that. And I, I don't know why they have not jumped on board. But again, the studies are out there. We could do a lot better job of getting more of them out there. Um, but again, the evidence is in the science. Right. Yep. You know, I was shocked, Ashley, uh, you know, it was a couple months ago, we had uh, a lot of our legislators on here from the state of Georgia, Republicans in, and Democrats. <laughs> they were working together, sitting here laughing, smiling with each other, saying, we've got to get this bill passed. Like, what's holding us back? Mm -hmm. We don't know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Unless there's, there's lack of motivation because there's so many other issues that are more prominent on the table and there's not enough money backing the, the or enough vote to put them back in office to get them to lobby for it. Otherwise, there's no, there's nothing else ho holding us back on passing those things around here as well. But the general trend, especially in Fulton, has been going towards that, and it's been, 
had in, in an upward motion towards that 50-50 since about 2013, 2012, 2013, from what I've observed here. Absolutely. What about, what about Title IV-D? That's where the state receives matching funds for the collection of child support. Do you think that has anything to do with the legislators not passing the shared parenting bill? Absolutely. I mean, money talks, right? Just absolutely. like anything it's, um, I think that's a, a big corruption problem. I think that uh, there should be absolutely nothing of the sort on, on anything like that. You know, they offer a monetary collection for parents to, to get the child support, but that should not be something that we are promoting that if you go after it, then we'll match you because then that 50-50 can if both parents are working, can wash child support sometimes, right? I mean, it can, it can happen. So um, that that makes you not want a 50-50 custody because it, there wouldn't be as much to collect, right? The matching wouldn't be there on one side or the other. So to me, that, you know, breeds corruption. Right. So what about the, at the judicial conferences when you receive your training? Are you, do you receive training on Title IV and on those matching funds? So um, at as a superior court judge in uh, family court, your training, um, you have options of different judicial trainings that you can go to in any at any level. But you are required to do a certain number of hours for, quote unquote, recertification where you currently are you know, presiding. But I, I think that needs to be increased here in Georgia, for sure. I'm not as uh, well versed with other states, but I think we could do a lot to up the ante and family law for superior court judges. Now, that, that being said, uh, Fulton County being, you know, Metro Atlanta, there's quite a few cities that we cover. We have 1.6 million people in Fulton County, but the outerlying counties don't have that where the superior court judges rotate in and out of family law only. They actually cover both at all times. So they're doing criminal and family law. So we are the only county, um, and we started doing that about 16 years ago. I don't know, you know, I have, I have two schools of thought on whether or not I like the model or not. Um, I don't like the model if you get a judge and they're about to leave. Um, in fact, I actually waited a year and a half on an order for a modification because my judge, you know, rotated out. And if you start calling and, you know, harassing them, then they're going to go against you. So we didn't do that, but we kind of sat and waited and waited. And it's like families are waiting. And, you know, I know this whole COVID thing is, is, is difficult to get, you know, anything heard and, and said, but, you know, families can't wait. These are children who are waiting to have an answer. Can I see mom? Can I see dad? Can I do this? Can I do that? You've got money in the line. Anything that you're dealing with with children should be a priority and quickly done. I mean, you know, I don't think criminals should wait for a trial for three years either, but at the same time, the children, I mean, they, they're not children very long and you need to have a decision quickly and and, and have something, even, you know, even if it's not the decision that people might want, you've got to get a decision on the books because people need to figure out their lives and move forward and the children need those decisions. So I would, I would like to see a lot more education in the family law um, with, with the judges that, that handle it. Um, and, and again, I think the mental health part of it, um, the different syndromes that are out there and getting that, that would be wonderful. Um, obviously once I um, get into superior court, I will be advocating for, for such uh, continuing judicial education seminars. But at the same time, I think lawyers need more education on it as well, because I don't know that I could zealously represent a client that I had the notion that was doing this to a child. Right. 
Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And, and, and being in the state of Georgia, I've been through this system before. I had to do my paternity test. Then you've got to do the legitimation process. Then we get to talk about when you're going to get a visitation with your child. And it's like it, this can be drug out so, so long. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm actually a big fan of wanting to get paternity tests upon birth. So we could just get some equal Everybody. right. Going. What right. would be your um, your views on that? So I, I order them as soon as we have any sort of an issue, um, just to make sure we're not dancing down the wrong path here. Uh, I actually know a father who uh, was not presented with the issue of paternity till the child was 11 years old and the divorce was coming. But be, presumably because they were married, it was his child. Now he's paying child support for a child he'll never see again because it's not biologically his, but legally was because of the marriage. So we need to do something like you're saying earlier on so that we we know, and the parents can't pull the relationship on the opposite end either. But at the same time, I'm a big proponent um, of doing all of those those three actions you're talking about in one fair swoop. That needs to all be in the same petition, in the same motion, at the same hearing. They're all interconnected. It all can be handled together. Speak of my language right there. We've got a question <laughs> to you from uh, Robert Greveland. He said, uh, do you believe lying should be treated as perjury in family court? That's one thing we've seen. These, I thought these silver bullets was maybe a little bit few and, and far in between. This this stuff is running rampant. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it is. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, contempt of court has become a joke, uh, frankly. Yeah. I think Thank you. you. Should go yeah. Are in contempt of court. If you can prove that someone has lied, I mean, you know, we've had to take the the whole biblical part out of it. We swear on the Bible, that's fine, whatever. But you shouldn't lie regardless. And if you are, that's no different than you know committing a crime to me. And so I think that you know it may be at times hard to prove a true outright outright lie. But if you can, I would encourage any side to try it. And I think we need to hold them more accountable because that's what's wrong with the morality of our society in and of itself. Well, I will say this. Now, I caught, I caught opposing counsel in a lie. So I was going to make my record. I was showing the judge where she was lying. The judge told me to stop. He didn't want to hear it. I said, I'm going to make my record. I got everything on the record. And, you know, I made the judge mad. I could prove that she was lying. And then judge asked me, do you want me to hold you in contempt of court? Hey, do what you got to do. I got my record here showing that I'm not lying. So why do judges get so upset when attorneys go in there and they fight so hard for the truth, but yet it almost seems like the judges are annoyed. So I think you go back to that whole, it becomes down to elections. Will they get reelected? Are these people the ones that are giving them funds? Are they supporting them? And that's wrong as well, just like a legislature or any other politician. And quite frankly, you know, we run as nonpartisan um, in the state of Georgia for a reason, to keep neutrality. And I don't care if A gave me money, B didn't, you know, or, you know, so-and-so is my friend or not, that does nothing to do that maybe socially outside, you know, we can be friends, but that has nothing to do with anything inside my courtroom. I need to know that whatever I'm doing is I'm doing what is the law. I'm applying the law. And And frankly, if that situation had arisen with me as an attorney, I would have filed a judicial complaint and put my evidence in front of the, we have what we call a judicial um, qualifying commission that will now punish judges. And I mean, I would, I would have put that up in a heartbeat and I wouldn't have cared whether that judge liked me or not ever again, because we have got to hold them accountable if they're going to be doing this sort of thing. What is the consequences of using those type of attorneys that are putting money in the judge's pocket? So, you know, if a judge thinks that that makes or breaks his uh, candidacy or something like that, A, we don't elect those judges. That would be my first thought. But it it happens. It's still out there. It is still an old school system at times. And I'm just 
encouraging people to to watch for people who are elected officials that are like that, especially when you're supposed to be a neutral party. And it really scares me. And that's essentially why I'm trying to move forward, especially in such a you know dire area of the law, be it felonies and family law. Those are the two main things that the, our, our superior court handles. And we can't have people that are up there biased. Those people will, their lives will be ruined. Unfortunately, that's one of the things it's effective and that's why they do it. And as long as we keep playing along with that type of a system, the, the corruption is going to remain there. And, and that's and, a large portion of our audience of 107,000 followers whose lives have been ruined as well as their children who are now struggling with growing up with mental health mm -hmm. issues because of the decisions that these judges have made and these corrupt attorneys. Can you speak to them? Uh, anybody that might be through going through that personally right now, directly in our audience, just your thoughts and uh, maybe some strength. You know, it is, if you're, if you're currently going through and awaiting a hearing or something like that, you know, keeping your head up and having faith is all you can do. But at the end of the day, you, if you are stuck with somebody who is a corrupt um, judicial official, it is very unfortunate. Going forward, what we as a society can do is research judges. Nobody researches judges. So you're going to an election and you're voting for all the other parties, you know, your sheriff or your district attorney and all of this. But the judges, you just oftentimes are picking a name or if you've seen them or what not or heard something through the grapevine, but oftentimes people don't research what this person is truly about and who they really are as a person. That would be step number one for future things. But if you're going through it right now, the biggest thing that, that you have to do is just have faith that whatever you can do will be the best that you can do. And you just keep keeping your head up and be the prideful one because stooping to the other person's level, if they're, you know, bad mouthing or anything like that never helps. Two wrongs don't make the right. So you have to do only your part. And, you know, you have to just know that that child, by you establishing and giving the basis of, of positivity and good morals and good support and just doing your best, even though you see them getting bought out or told bad things, they will one day they will know they will see and you have to just do your part um and it's very difficult and i i my heart goes out to anyone who's dealing with someone who is on the other side just ruining and and wrecking a child's mentality i mean look at our teen suicide rates that have gone skyrocketed and i would bet you if you did the studies a lot of them would be from some of these parental issues absolutely and you know what? go ahead, go ahead no, you're good. More about it. About a GAL. Um, you said you went through the GAL training, didn't learn much. I went through the GAL training. That was a day in my life I'll never get back. So, when you do you utilize GALs and what criteria do you look for when you use them? So, uh, yes, we do. And the way our courts are set up is the attorneys can agree upon the GAL that they decide. We don't have courtroom assigned ones. I will, because I don't have the opportunity or the option to choose for them, um, I do my research in knowing what sort of credentials and what sort of background that GAL, or this is a guardian that lied for those who don't understand. And that's a uh, supposed to be another neutral party that goes out and does the um, interviews with the children and watches the interactions with both sides and sends back to the judge a report. So I, what as a judge, what I have to do is look at those reports based on the background of this guardian ad litem and their reputation 
organization and who I believe they are and the training that they have behind them and give it weight based on that. Unfortunately, I cannot just there's too many judges that take them as the gospel. Um, and, and I can't do that. Not not with uh, good faith. And I feel that there are some that are, are much more qualified than others. Um, there are some that have some sort of, you know, sociological or psychological backgrounds in their education that probably are more um widely respected as far as children. Um, there are some that are simply have gone through, like you said, that day training that is out of a book and you're zoning off looking at, you know, Facebook or whatever. The majority of the hundred people I was in class with, that's what they were doing. And I don't know that a lot of what I heard was, you know, helping any child. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a problem. Gotcha. Got another question in here from Wilmina Hedinga. She said, why does Georgia have jury trial rights for property rights in Georgia, but not for a parent to keep legal rights to their own child? So uh, that's a good question. So currently the um, state of Georgia is the only, well, Texas and Georgia are the two states that allow jury trials in family law, but not for custody rights. Um, that is mainly the, the thought process behind that legislatively is that, you know, you're going to be able to get a jury in there that is deciding a child's life is a lot more dangerous with 12 than it would be trying to have these characters in place like the guardian ad litems and the judicial. Again, though, as we've just shown and spoken about the education levels and the experience levels of the people that we're putting it in the hands of isn't necessarily there. So while it could be scary to put it in someone really biased hands that has gone through something um, on one side or the other as just a lay person, uh, I, I do think that, that again, even if we don't look into that sort of um, idea of it, I think we need um, a lot more education and a lot more awareness amongst the people and the key players who are making these decisions. Absolutely. Uh, I got another question from Shelly Oliver. She said, how do we report the bad ones? I'm guessing she's referring to the judges. Yes. So um, the state of Georgia, we voted in a um, what we call the JQC, the Judicial Qualifying Commission, um, a few years back, and it has not been in place for very long. But um, are the state bars, if they have judicial um, complaint commissions, those would those would be found through the state bars website. You can also call your state bar ethics line ask them what way to go about just as you would complain about a lawyer same process for a judge they have to answer and they will go in front of a committee of uh, appointed officials by the state governor and they will be examined thoroughly to make sure they're not abusing their power if they are they will be taken off the bench and potentially even disbarred as an attorney if it's that terrible awesome I uh, got another one in here from Jessica Anthony. She said, when you're the parents in an expert opinion, reply the psychological abuse you have evidence of to your appointed a GAL. Why are parents trying to educate the professionals? It's insanity. Again, I, I'm going back to the professionals being uneducated in and of their own right. I think our standards for these guardians and things like that aren't necessarily a high enough um, they need more training if they're going to just be lawyers. If we're using child psychologists, great. That would be a, a whole first step if that's, you know, affordable and doable. But right now you're seeing most of these guardian items just as attorneys who have been trained, like we, uh, Ms. Isaac and I were sp speaking, that it's not a whole lot of training and it's um, just a quick little one-day course, you know, from 8 to 5 o'clock or 4.30 and 
a big half hour lunch break and whatever else. So it's not necessarily what it should be. I mean, she mentioned going through mediation training. Mediation training is, you know, eight times harder and worse and, and more in depth than, than a guardian ad litem training that's going to report to a judge. That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. So um, we need we need a lot more stringent um backgrounds on on training people or or educational backgrounds necessary for um, dealing with these children. Yeah, you're speaking very truthfully and very candidly. And I think a lot of the people listening to you right now are are shaking their head in agreement. Yep. So I think we all know that it's we all know that the system is broken. Everybody agrees with that. But very few people actually speak out, especially someone who has a robe on. So do you find that your um, your your cohorts on the bench agree with you but are afraid to speak out? And what sort of feedback have you gotten from from the community? Oh, absolutely. I um, can only imagine the backlash I'll get from <laughs> anyone listening to this, but it's the truth. Like you said, it is, it's candid and it's honest. And quite frankly, I'm in the position I'm in to do my part. I'm little and I can only do what I can do personally. But if more people were like that, we could make a difference. Um, so speaking out is huge, uh, be it you're a, just a pro se litigant, just an attorney or whoever you are, speak up. Because if you don't, then you and I mean, I think day one of law school, if you don't ask for it, you can't get it. So we we need to be more vocal and not scared of what it might cause, because even if it's not your case that gets helped, somebody else is down the line. will. and, and I'm doing that for for lots of people out there that, that need to know and see that we can do better with something that people don't think about and don't talk about much. But it is something that needs to be changed, especially here and I'm sure across the United States. I got another question in here from Jake Madaw. He said, hi, Judge Baker. Why are the vast majority of contempt motions denied or ignored when this is the only way someone can hold the other parent accountable if they're violating orders? So I, uh, as an attorney, and I'm sure Melissa will probably agree with this, um, unless you've got a really serious contempt on something that's been in your final order, you just tell them they're not going to look at it because they have too there, I don't know if we have more laziness or not, but I think that is a big problem that you see with a lot of judges is that these contempt motions, they just kind of take them as, you know, you'll have a morality clause and like, well, they're really not going to, you know, you need five or six different contempt things to really take it to court, make it worth your while. Well, that's not fair. Then why is it in there to begin with? So I think we have laziness. I think we have court backlog. And, you know, as a government worker and employee, I come from a business background. I have an LLM in business and tax as well. I don't believe in this. We got to get off work at five o'clock. If I need to stay there till 11 to get through these things, that is what it is. We do that at any other work we have. Why should the government be any different? I mean, I'm not looking for overtime or anything like that, but if I'm doing this. It's not for the money. It's darn sure because I, I care about and am and passionate about what I'm doing. So I'm going to put the time in to make sure that people aren't waiting on these decisions. And I think a lot of your contempt motions have become such minute things compared to the, the log that they have and the hours that they spend on things per day. And I think that's your main problem, unfortunately. Well, if it's contempt of non-payment of child support, the court's going to jump on it pretty quick. But I, but I think that's maybe I don't want to interpret his question. But you know, with the exception of child support, if it's 
contempt for breach of visitation, contempt because mom kept the child for an extra week in the summer, didn't give it to the dad. You know, a lot of attorneys will say, look, you know, this judge, you're like, get upset about it. And, and if you're honest, you'll say, listen, I know this judge, this judge has never held anybody contempt for a morality clause. Not, not, might not what somebody wants to hear, but you have to be honest with them. But it does seem to be a disparity in when the judge will enforce what, what kind of contempt. Child support, it's immediate. Jail is threatened. But everything else seems to get washed under the rug. And I agree with you. And I think that the problem you're seeing in what you're speaking as an attorney to your clients is we have to know the judge. And that's not fair. That's not that to me. That is not a non-biased judge. And that right there speaks numbers of what we have in office. These are elected officials that are clearly biased. If an attorney is having to tell their client, you're not able to get it from this judge. Now, if you'd had the other one, we'd be in a whole different ballgame. I can't count the number of times I've said that to clients. And it's unfortunate. And it's not anywhere. In fact, I call myself a recovering attorney because I'm trying to change that part of what, what I had to do. I mean, I think that's wrong to have to, to be honest with people and tell them that because we shouldn't have judges that are supposed to be neutral and unbiased in their doing and acting different than the person next to them. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, one of the excuses I've heard for, for some judges justifying why maybe some cases don't come out perfect is because, well, the judge just does not like doing family law cases. Yeah. Um, sadly, that's their job, you know, and if I go to the pizza shop and I order a pizza and it comes and the cheese is all over the top of the box and it's messed up and, and I go back and I'm like, hey, what's wrong with my pizza? It's all messed up. Why is it like this? It's not an acceptable answer for the employee who made it to say eh, he doesn't really like his job, you know. Uh, so I, I think it's very important what we're talking about here withholding judges accountable. And I just want to say to our audience, it's it's going to vary state by state. So the first step you want to take is probably get in touch with your bar. Um, but outside of that, I do think our community would like to know when there's false allegations made, okay, uh, against one parent, and they're found to be untrue. And let, let's say, you know, they might be about physical abuse, drugs, um, you know, the silver bullets that are thrown. What do you think the consequences for the parent who made those al those allegations should be at that point? Uh, because in reality, that's what's going to stop the alienation when when it's okay. I'm going to go into court and I'm going to lie about this to get custody. When there's 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 consequences and repercussions for making that lie. What do you think the consequence, a fair consequence, would be for somebody? Well, depending on the severity of it, a lie is going to be a lie to me. I think it's a contemptuous action that I think could result in jail time. I, I, I think it's um, it's sick. I think there's there's some serious problems with, with doing that. A, you could potentially ruin someone's life and that child's life be, because of a false allegation. Now, not to get into too much personal, but, you know, my um, when I was uh, after my divorce, I ended up in the same boat. I was an attorney and my ex was a practicing attorney as well. Same thing came at me and it's scary. And, you know, luckily it was something that I could go and use science to prove, no, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing, but the, the motivation was that I had gotten into a new relationship. And as soon as that happened, all things changed. We were getting along just fine, but that motivating factor, because somehow some way in that guy's head, I was coming back one day or something. So when all those things changed, every, he wanted everything changed. He wanted me to go back and, and become a polygamist after I got remarried because I was, he wanted to negate the entire agreement. Then we weren't really divorced. I mean, everything to what he could do that was just 
crazy talk, really. But at the same time, it, even as a, an attorney who did family law, I was stopped in my tracks and terrified. I can only imagine somebody who doesn't deal with the legal world or has never been in court a day in their life and doesn't want to, how terrifying and, and just, I mean, it literally, it takes every bit of emotion out of you. It, you can't get out of bed at times. I mean, I've seen people lose everything because of the emotional turmoil it takes on them. And as a practicing family lawyer, you can't do your own case. You're way too emotional. And I am firsthand able to tell you the emotion is real and it will debilitate you. And the hardest thing is, is to still be a good parent during that time. And that is the, the one thing you have to try to remember. And that's what needs to get you up every day. But at the same time, there's so many people that go through this. And until you're there, you don't know how bad it really is. Right. And you said something really important there, because normally when you tell the courts as, you know, a father or a mother who um, can't afford an attorney, well, look, I can't afford an attorney. OK, we can go to the bar. The bar doesn't really, let's be honest, very rarely do they hand out attorneys. Um, mm -hmm. But then you have to represent yourself. And you just said it right there. Even as a practicing family law attorney, the emotional like trauma that goes hand in hand with the situation and representing yourself, you can't do it. And that's something a, a judge and the courts, they need to realize, especially these states, because there's so many parents that are good foot parents who don't get a fair shake because they can't afford an attorney. So what you said there in my eyes was very important. And thank you for saying it. It's true. It's very true. And it's, um, the emotion that overtakes you when you're dealing with your own blood and your own child and, and something that you truly care about that deeply is, is, is unfounded. I mean, you, if you aren't educated in the law, you sure as are going to be at a disadvantage, but even being educated, like you said, in the law, you can't, you make poor decisions, you make irrational decisions and you make emotionally motivated decisions. And if you don't have an attorney behind you on those things, you're you're in the at a loss and the financial gain of, of family attorneys is, is huge i mean you will i mean I'm, i know all of you who have dealt with this have i mean it, it will break the bank so ashley i've got a question for you so we we know that the right to to parent your child your children is a fundamental constitutional right which to us attorneys we know that that should trigger some sort of scrutiny for the courts to meet some burden for them to meet before they infringe on that constitutional right. So why does not the family court have a burden? Why, why, why is it not the strict scrutiny test if we're dealing with a fundamental constitutional right? Why is it this ambiguous best interest standard? Honestly, I think that that fundamental interest has been um, just pretty much negated and lost in translation. I think what the the best that we have, have done and held on to in interpreting that is best interest of the child which, as we all know, should be, you know, the, the basis of all of it. But it's it's not because of the bias. And then, the like you're saying, uh, well, Chris was saying that the laziness or the lack of giving um, a liking to the job. And, you know, it's that, again, goes back to my research who you're putting in office. And make so sure basically family court. Right. So basically family court is given a pass on having to to um, meet those that that standard when it comes to a constitutional right, they just get a pass. Georgia has come down to best interest of the child standard entirely. That is a 
essentially the, the motivating factor and what we look at as the standard. Um, it is the whole constitutional background of it has been just completely um, diluted. You know, ladies, I mean, much like we, we, we talk about wanting transparency in family court, I want to be a little transparent on the, this podcast, doing what we're doing right here and advocating inside this community. It's not always the easiest thing to do, especially podcasts like this. First time I had on Melissa, or we ever have on an attorney. Uh, most of the people that's been through this system, they think all attorneys are bad. It would be the same thing with a judge. I am very impressed. We, we didn't know what we was going to be seeing here. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love what you're saying. We need more judges like you. We need more attorneys like Melissa Isaac. I feel like that is um, part of the solution that we haven't had yet. We need everybody speaking up. I'm just curious with both of you ladies, what can we do? It feels like at times that we're just running in circles with this. We're not getting anywhere. Everybody's sitting here saying the same things. Uh, I love this community. Yeah, I, I'm glad with what we're doing, but sometimes again, it's like pulling teeth. You, you have these conversations right here and they'll just shut it out. But this is so important what we're doing right here. I think this is unprecedented with this movement. And uh, I thank you for being so candid and honest tonight. And I'm definitely going to spread the word about you up there in Fulton County. But can you, you, you know, yeah. you guys give us a little wisdom on where we need to go to. For I'll be honest with you, um, you know, in campaigning, um, this has not been a fun, a fun thing at all. I don't wish it on anyone, but I will tell you, I use my own personal cell phone number. I personally call people. I cold call people and I, I'll talk to them for an hour if they need to talk to me for an hour. I want people to know that I am a real person. I'm really passionate about certain things and I want you to ask me questions. And um, you know, I would encourage anybody that wants to email me, um, you can give out my personal information and my Facebook page, but I, I really do want, uh, I'm happy to, to discuss these things. If you find somebody that you're going to go vote for and they're not willing to talk to you, you can't get to know them. That's a red flag to me. It's a real big red flag. Well, in talking about what do we do, I think it's, you know, support and accountability. Now that we've had Ashley on the show, I mean, she's speaking from the heart. None of this is scripted. And I can tell she knows what she's talking about. Identifying the problems. So, you know, we, we have a huge community. There's a big shared parenting community. Number one, we need to support her. We need to share her pages. We need to talk about her. We need to get snips of this interview. We need to put it out there. And then there's the accountability. So once we can get her on the bench, right, then it's a matter of how she's doing. She's doing great. So that's what, when I think other people see that she's being rewarded for this, that there's this big way behind her, they're going to get on board. Because un unfortunately, I think most attorneys are like, oh, well, what's Melissa doing over there? Oh, gosh, well, no one, you know, she's got some arrows in her back, but she's doing pretty good. So I think I might advocate for shared parenting, that kind of thing. So we've got this lady coming on here, this awesome judge who's saying, you know what, get me up there. I'm going to do a better job for children and families. We support her. And then we, we hold support and accountability. I think that's what we have to do. So this and community, you know people who are watching right now, get behind her. That's what we need to do. Sorry, Chris. And, and one way you could probably get behind her, I'm sure she has a campaign going. If you're not from Georgia, okay, still maybe try to contact her and say, hey, can I do some phone calling for you? Like whatever. You might have to sign an NDA, but ask her how you can help because here's the thing. She gets elected. That starts a chain reaction, okay? out of one state across the entire nation, and then eventually it will hit the state you're in. So I would encourage you, contact her. You, you, Everybody in here always wants an elected official if it's for shared parenting, okay? You have a potential one sitting here who is on here right now saying, hey, please contact me, I need to be elected. So anybody watching this, I challenge you to get in touch with her and see how you can help. 
I mean, we can sit here and talk about the problems all day long. This is where it counts. We've got to make sure that we're putting people in office. It's our job to make sure we know who's getting elected. You know, that's, and that's, that's the thing you're talking about. 21 superiors just in the Fulton County area. Is there some suggestions on how we could know who we're putting in office? I mean, that's the hard thing. There's just so many. It is. Um, and the absentee ballot uh, that would, that had gone on because of the COVID has given people the opportunity to be able to research who's who's running. Um, more so than they ever have, because otherwise you get in front of a ballot poll at a you know elect, election polling place and you see a name for the first time, you're picking a name you might think sounds good together or, you know, that's not OK. That's how things end up getting voted for in a judicial election. So, you know, I've seen so many more people. And I've been so proud that they are informed voters this time around due to the fact that they're, they're able to see the names ahead of time. You can go to your local secretary of state sites and see who is running for each and every uh, local election. But local elections don't get as much hype. So it is important to, to look at that, especially when you have a, you know, these family in crisis people, the judges that are ahead of these decisions, that is a big deal. And you're putting people in there that may or may not care and may or may not, like Chris said, like their job or, you know, care much about family law. They may be only caring about, you know, getting in office and having this judicial title or, you know, criminal law or whatever else they may be doing and just put the family law to the wayside when in reality, that is a, I mean, that this is going to cause generational problems as we go forward um, for all of these children upcoming and, and, and how they're being treated and what they know as um, how things are going. And I'll, I'll um, tell you this one other thing that, uh, you know, as a mother and for all you men or women out there who have these issues going on, when I have a four-year-old child look at me after five, six, seven days and say, I really miss daddy. That pings my heart. I need her to go see her daddy right then. I mean, she needs him. And that is a true statement from an innocent child that truly needs both parents in their life. And it is, it gets to that. I mean, a week is a long time, but that is, I mean, and, and, and a little child starts really, really needing. Even my older children will. And I, I try to have as loose of a, a you know, a custody thing as I can. If they want to go see their dad that night, go, please do what makes you feel good right then and there. But we need more of that and more flexibility. Um, and these children are the ones that are suffering. Absolutely. Now I'm from the state of Georgia. It's my, my daughter's about to turn three. It's been two years this week, two years. And it's because I moved on. It's because I moved on. I didn't want to be in it anymore. And that's the part that breaks my heart. It's like, I've got so much love to give, but I'm not being allowed to give it, you know, and I got to go fight through this system and it shouldn't be this way. No. And it's expensive and it's horrible. Um, in fact, I have a, um, a younger brother who lives in my basement and he goes home every morning at seven 30 to pick, wake up his three-year-old boy and get him dressed and ready for the day and take him to school. And he goes and picks him up every day and he plays with them, takes him home, puts him to bed. And all the mother does is sleep at the same house. And he is scared to file anything because he's scared he'll lose his child, even in Fulton County. And it, even knowing who I am and such an advocate, and it breaks my heart every day. Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm trying to find it. It went off our screen. Okay. Uh, Corey Ritter said, hi, Judge Baker. Um, I know we probably addressed this already. I'm saying that. What do you feel can stop parental alienation and or false accusations? And you're getting my vote in Fulton County. 
thank you. Since he said that and he's saying he's going to vote for you, I only feel it's right for us to re-ask that question. Uh, what do you feel can stop parental alienation and false allegations? So again, I think educating um, officials, guardians, attorneys, everything on what parental alienation is and in letting people know this is, you know, you have an old school of thought that thinks that, you know, ADD and ADHD isn't real. Well, no, parental alienation is also real. It is a real syndrome. There's, you know, lots of different ones above and beyond that, but it literally needs to be more mainstream. I know we're not going to get it as a, you know, DSM-5 uh, diagnosis per se, but let's make it something that our, our medical community acknowledges more. You know, I think our lobbying for that needs to be in that medical community as well and in working, you know, in tandem with our family law community as well. But, you know, the education to others and, and so people don't think that you're just making something up to, to try to go against and make this new court case up and getting judicial and attorneys and everybody else on board with, with these true things that are going on. And there's so many uh, resources out there. And I think we need to just unveil them and show studies and encourage more of that community to do more studies and more depth um, research into it as well. Awesome. I can't find the question, but Mr. Charles Langevin, he's, he's one of the ones trying to head up the shared parenting bill there in Georgia and got a lot of the, the, the legislators on the podcast to talk about it. He wanted to know if you would be willing to testify on behalf of the importance of shared parenting in Georgia. I would absolutely, as long as it doesn't go violate any of my judicial canons, I will absolutely 100 percent support it and be right there behind you, because I think, um, you know, aside from a parent being you know, a detriment to a child, which we all know can happen. I mean, you can have a severe drug addict parent that is, you know, sticking needles in their arm in front of the child or something of that nature. That I'm not for per se, but let's let's be honest. The majority of what we're seeing is not that. It is like you're saying, um, Eric, somebody wanting to give their love and unable and un incapable. And that is, you know, is terrible. I'm also not opposed to when you have a parent that's not, you know, ready, willing and able to be in that life. The grandparent custodial rights are big too. You know, if they're willing to step up, let them as well. We need to promote that as well because family in and of itself, no matter who or where it comes from, is important to that child. Yeah. And I, I was just holding a, a little girl last week. I want to keep the names out of it. Mom, dad, nowhere around. She has no parents. And yeah. I was just sitting there breaking. I was like this little sweet, innocent baby right here doesn't have any parents. I mean, there needs to be something in place. You know, I know the grandparents would gladly, but um, actually tell everybody a little bit about where they can find you and keep up with your. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. So my, uh, my, uh, the Facebook page is just um, Ashley Baker OSB OSBY for Fulton Superior Court. Um, also, I have a personal page, um, just Ashley Baker OSB OSBY. And then also my, my email address is um, Ashley Osby, first and last name at Gmail. I also have a website if you want to look more um, at my campaign website, which is osbyforjudge.com. You know, I, I feel so bad um, because I've been calling you Osby. That's okay. <laughs> I, I, when, I'm, when I'm calling people on the phone, I call myself Osby too because it's a lot easier to hear <laughs> and spell. But no, it's fine. Totally fine. All right, guys, and I'm sorry I didn't get to everybody's questions. There was a few people asking if we was going to get their questions. There's just too many, but maybe we can have you back 
and uh, we wish you luck. Anything that you need. The the email is Ashley, just my first and last Ashley, and then OSBY at Gmail, not the Baker in the middle. You see, look, I messed that up again too. Yeah, type that up there, Eric. <laughs> yeah. I would happily take anyone's emails. Um, you can also email me through the osbyforjudge.com site, um, the Facebook page, Ashley Baker Osby Ful for Fulton Superior Court. Go on and like that page. And I can also um, take posts and questions and I respond within minutes or hours for, for sure. I'm, I'm constantly monitoring that and making sure that people get the answers and transparency and, and attention that they need. And Ashley, who is your opposition in this race so that our followers can research who your opposition is? Sure, sure. Um, so currently, this is an open seat. Um, uh, the woman who's vacated the seat, her name is Constance Russell. So there are three other um, people running against me. Uh, one is Liz Kuhn, K-U-H-N. Another one is Tamika Habrowski Houston, H-R-B-O-W-S-K-I-Houston. And then the other one is Melanie Leffridge Harris. So the only two of us that have judicial experience are myself and Judge Harris. Um, we're both in the same office, uh, but I clearly have the only, I'm the only one with an LLM um, and extended legal um, education, as well as this business background, which that finance and monetary part in the background also goes to that family law stuff as well, because people can tend, we didn't touch on this, but we can just briefly mention it. They hide finances and assets during these things constantly and be it female or male. And it just needs to be present and, and understood that this goes on because that also harms the child. And Ashley, to your knowledge, have any of these other three, um, candidates as you've listed had they are they as outspoken for shared parenting as you are have not heard um any, anything on it um i know one of them does handle family law but i will say i've seen um, a lot of talk amongst a lot of the different candidates who are running for superior court who will say one thing on one site and another on another site so just be very weary of those people. I won't you know not even just in, in any races per se, but you have to be very uh, cautious when you're doing your research on any any candidate on any political platform, especially in the neutral that are not truly neutral. Well, you, your interview has been extremely candid. I'm very impressed, and I think that if anybody, um, if I did not find something with the other three that impressed me as much as I have been impressed with you, I, I definitely, they would not get my vote. So I highly encourage everybody, especially we have a big Georgia following to go back and watch this interview again. Like she said, do your research because this is a generational thing. Like she's saying, I think the research shows six generations. So when, when you take a parent out of a life, when there's alienation, when the, when a family's destroyed, it affects six generations. And that's huge. We won't we be around to see that the everlasting rippled effects of what's happening and that judge that makes that decision will not either. And that is what makes a judge when they understand that the disasters that they can cause when they take that robe off after the decision that they've made and that they have not done their all and given it their 100 percent and watched every piece of evidence presented to them and overturned every stone, you are creating disastrous, everlasting generational effects. Mm -hmm. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think this was an amazing interview and I, I hope you get that seat. And like I said, any way that we can help you, please let us know. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Chris and Melissa. Great to meet all of you guys. 
And uh, I, it, again, I encourage any of you that have these questions. I know there were some we didn't get to. I'm, I'm happy to, to do my best on getting back to you as quickly and as candidly as possible. Awesome. All right, everybody, y'all have a happy Memorial Day. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great evening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are fighting for the rights of parents worldwide. If you want to help support our podcast and for us to continue this mission, please join us at patreon.com slash dadtalktoday. You will find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, CloudHub, Parlor, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, the podcast app, Google, Apple Podcasts. We're a little bit of everywhere. And guys, every time you like and subscribe, you help us continue this mission. Thank you, and we will see you next time.